And we're recording. Thank you for tuning into Left Jest. Anders Lee here with Alex Patak. What's up? Our other uh, co-host, Raghav Mehta, is on his way, but we are joined this week by a very special guest. This is our first anonymous guest. We have an anonymous contributor from It's Going Down. Uh, it's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. You can find them on the web at itsgoingdown.org. They also have a podcast, IGD cast. Uh, check it out. I believe there's also a print magazine, but it's a great, uh, great uh, platform for a lot of kind of alternative views. Uh, but as I mentioned, our guest this week is anonymous, and I uh, wanted to start off by asking um, about the importance of anonymity in the work that you do and uh, the anarchist community at large. So, I mean, you know, it's going down is, is pretty much formatted like most, you know, news websites. We produce original content. We repost from other websites, largely a lot of uh, local groups that maybe have less of an audience. We repost that. Um, and we also take um, submissions. And some of those are anonymous, some are not. But also for us, I mean, we're not really interested in creating like a cult of personality around ourselves, uh, the people involved in the project. And we just kind of want the work to speak for itself. So that's really our drive. But also, you know, the desire to, to not be uh, outed by alt-right trolls. Right, um, which is kind of a, a pretty big danger uh, in the in the work that you're doing. Um, is that so? How did it, it's going down start? I know it's been up for a few years now, or not a like a little over a year, I believe. Um, what was kind of the genesis behind it? We started in the summer of 2015. Um, we mostly just wanted to be something that we felt was lacking within the anarchist movement and, and also within like, you know, the wider anti-authoritarian, anti-capitalist, anti-colonial movements, uh, just something that really could serve both as a resource for, for the movement itself, but also something that really the, the, the public at large could use as a, as a digital community center to kind of come in and see what we were doing and what we had to say about, uh, current events. And, um, you know, that's why we started the project and it just kind of exploded. I mean, when we started, we were getting like 250 to 300 hits a day, you know, different viewers. Last month we got 2 million. So, I mean, it's, it's grown a lot. So it just shows that, that for some, for something that has a, you know, um, an unabashed, you know, unafraid proletarian position to you know, speak to, what working class and poor people are going through from a very radical and revolutionary perspective that that people are ready to hear that. I mean, when you're talking about the millions, you know, you got to say what my mother would say, looking down at my cereal every breakfast. That's a lot of O's. Uh, <laughs> just update for the cast. Rog of Meadows it back in the studio. So Hello. prepare for some no holds barred third host question asking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, back to I mean, you were talking about how the this was important within the anarchist movement, um, but how much of a reach has it's going down had to people who have not really been exposed to these perspective perspectives before? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I definitely think with Charlottesville, like we published an article that was shared like over 30,000 times on Facebook, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things is, is not that much. But still, it was one of the people that came out um, about the event. 
um, which definitely had a lot of reach. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of the people that we want to talk to, I mean, they're on Facebook. That's where they're getting their news. And that's where, like, the power of, uh, you know, Breitbart and a lot of these, um, you know, kind of clickbait right-wing websites, which if you look at them, I mean, they're not necessarily well-designed. <laughs> they don't have really well-written articles. Or they're not well-researched, but they have a huge platform and they have a massive social media reach. And that's where, you know, most of their hits are coming from. Um, so that's kind of the world that you have to exist in if you're really trying to reach the everyday person in those five minutes on their lunch break to, you know, look at their phone and you're trying to vie for their attention. Kind of raises the question, how big a, like, how good journalism do you need to do when you're the only platform with the scoop on Hillary Clinton personally killing an honest soldier off duty? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing too is like, you know, what, what are you writing about? You know, are, are you, you know, or if, if, you know, the right wing sites, like, like you said, like have a marketplace for conspiracy theories or basically taking like really complex, uh, situations and, and systems and boiling them, them down to, you know, a series of, of, of groups that they can blame something on, you know, as opposed to like taking complex things like, you know, capitalist civilization and trying to, you know, analyze and figure out what's actually going on. And more importantly, like what everyday people can do about it and what are they doing about it? So, I mean, that's a huge task, but, um, you know, we're learning as we go. And I think, I mean, we have to build up our own media. Like that has to be such a critical thing that revolutionary groups are, are engaging in. Like that has to be part of our struggle. I look at some of the groups on the left and they have like, they really have no idea of how to, uh, interact within like this realm and, and the right has like so much uh, of a gain on us because, you know, during the Obama years, they were building up their massive, you know, YouTube subscriber list and everything else. And they, you know, that's where their, their quote power comes from. Although obviously they haven't been able to really turn that into, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak. Um, and we've really got to find a way to amplify what we're doing, get our ideas out there. And also like use media to get people off the internet and into actual struggles, like into spaces where people are organizing in, because that's where real power comes from. Um, and we that's just, the hardest part. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Um, I think it would help if you like made it scary somehow, <laughs> like you had to leave like that video where that, you know, girl pops out from that image after a certain number of minutes. The slender man shows up. The slender man. on to me all right for it. <laughs> How the fuck would you program that <laughs> into the thing? Well, I, uh, some, uh, something I want to underscore definitely is that it's going down is not um, as a as a organization is not organizing these protests or demonstration. It's it's a media outlet, um, but these are conflicts that have been going on for a really long time now between fascists and anti-fascists, and a lot of that has been boiling to the surface. We've been seeing that in uh, the media more and more. As of late, something that we w really wouldn't see on uh, the nightly news 10 years ago. Um, what are some of the factors that you think have led to this uh, sort of uh, conflict uh, that that's really pervasive and in, in some ways led to uh, people, you know, at least on the right and to some extent on the left too, starting more and more to come uh, out of their little man caves or, or basements and, and actually go into the streets. Or woman caves. Yes. Important to... <laughs> There are some women alt-right people out there, but... What's important is we're in caves. <laughs> um, I, I think it's important to remember um, 
because you know we we've talked to a lot of journalists, especially over the past uh, you know six or eight months. And the perception that a lot of journalists have, a lot of people in the center, is that, you know, Donald Trump just suddenly appeared and then all of a sudden there was, you know, an alt-right movement, which is really not the case. I mean, white nationalism should never be um, kind of dismissed. I mean, in this country, even in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, I mean, you know, the white supremacist, white nationalist movement, neo-Nazi groups, I mean, whatever kind of moniker you want to put on it, have 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 done a lot. I mean, they've done everything from, you know, form terrorist groups to start communes to train people how to fire guns and, and get ready for the coming race war to, you know, setting up Bible camps and, and creating radio stations and stuff like that. So, you know, in reality, (laughs) the, the far, the far right, especially like the, the far, you know, white nationalist right has done a lot of the stuff that, you know, the left says that it wants to do, you know, like creating infrastructure and dual power and stuff like that. But I mean, this this current inclination of people, part of the alt-right, um, really kind of came off the internet um, in the wake of the Charleston massacre. Um, and especially as people started to protest and and vandalize or, or mobilize against, you know, the vestiges of the Confederacy, whether it was the flag or, or monuments. And we're seeing, obviously, that, you know, in the wake of Charlesville. And then we started to also see, um, you know, like in Olympia, I remember one of the first big things that really kind of made us pay attention was um, some neo-Nazis came out to support the police. There was a protest against um, police officers that had shot two young African-American men that were accused of stealing beer. And they came out to, uh, you know, support them. The, the, the neo-Nazis did for the police. And I mean, this was something that, you know, hadn't happened in such a long time. I mean, physical neo-Nazi skinheads being very public about their support for the existing structure and like taking a real tangible position against Black Lives Matter. So, I mean, that's what really kind of pushed them forward. And Trump was just really a moment that they could kind of like take what they were doing, which was inserting themselves within, you know, white reaction to black struggle and it kind of expand that it kind of gave them a moment like occupy where they could kind of go down to the Trump rallies or volunteer with the Trump, um, you know, campaign and, and people and kind of grow. And also there was a lot of people that got involved with the Trump campaign who now are, are disaffected and want something, you know, more to the right. And obviously the alt right is there to greet them. But I mean, that's what really set it in motion. It's so funny thinking of it. Uh, as Donald Trump's campaign as the right occupy where the spark isn't an economic crash. It's a golden man with dementia running for president. (laughs) That's so stupid. It also really speaks to the fragility of the media class's narrative as to where uh, extreme groups come from because the Ku Klux Klan has been an active force in this country for over a hundred years. Like we know about them. You hear about them in school, but all of a sudden, uh, when these people start like marching around again, we pretend like they're new. It, it, you would have to just forget about all the other things you learned. Yeah. I mean like, you know, we just interviewed somebody from the group life, Af- life after hate, which is, comprised of former neo-Nazi skinheads, basically. But, you know, the person was involved um, from the late 80s to the mid-90s, I mean, which is an insane time. I mean, the period basically when neo-Nazi skinheads really took off in the late 1980s, you know, incredibly violent, you know, murdering people, dragging them behind trucks to, you know, 1995, where Timothy McVeigh, who was a white nationalist, uh, blew up the Oklahoma City, City building. So, I mean... 
you know, it's 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 not just making up making up shit to say that you know white nationalists in this country like really have like the same kind of um, you know role that like ISIS or the Taliban or other like really extreme right wing groups in other countries have had, and um, you know they they're leaving massive amounts of dead bodies in their wake. Um, but also, you know, they've had a huge amount of influence, um, you know, not only on policy, um, but also just culturally and, you know, within the wider uh, right itself. And if you look back at at history, like with the George Wallace campaign, I mean, the the neo-Nazi groups and the KKK groups that came out to support George Wallace and his bid for president, that's what really birthed um, groups like um, the National Alliance, which would go on, you know, this leader would go on to write. Uh, the Turner Diaries, which would go on to influence, you know, Oklahoma City bombing. So, I mean, Trump is important, but it's definitely not the whole picture. And if you look at what Bannon is trying to do with this new, you know, Southern strategy of bringing in evangelicals and trying to basically form, you know, quote unquote, populist um, alternative to the neoconservatives. I mean, you know, Richard Spencer might fail, but Bannon could be very successful and we might see a very American version of fascism uh, grow that kind of rejects white nationalism, you know, outwardly, but really is all about redefining who gets to be a citizen and who does not. And that's something we've seen time and time again uh, within, you know, American society, whether it's like mass roundups and deportations of Mexican-Americans or, you know, the internment of Japanese citizens. I mean, they really need to do that, you know, to have this kind of like war within American borders to redefine who is American and who is not in order to basically, um, you know, reposition themselves in, you know, as leaders. Well, speaking of uh, the media, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this sort of uh, narrative that's been pretty pervasive that. Um, you know, the alt-right and, and white supremacists think these awful things, but we got to let them say their piece. We got to let them, uh, you know, speak in public and all this, this stuff. Um, it could be beautiful. Right. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we can convince them. Out. Yeah, maybe yeah, we can agree. just throw more speech at it and uh, <laughs> speech on speech, and then we'll get uh, some great stuff. Yeah, Mein Kampf was known for its great prose originally. Right, right. But then uh, all those weird ideas turned up. <laughs> Well, how do you address this claim that by um, trying to organize against uh, the alt-right or, or white supremacists that you are uh, trying to censor them or, or play into this uh, anti-free speech perceived movement? Well, I mean, again, like everybody says this, but we need to say it over and over again. You know, we're not we're not for censorship. You know, the idea of the First Amendment of free speech is that the government should not be able to restrict what you say and how you express yourself and like your ability to organize. And, you know, it's just hilarious, you know, like, you know, the, the free speech fights of the industrial workers of the world in the early 1900s or the free speech movement in Berkeley, those were all organized by leftists and communists and anarchists and syndicalists, you know, people that were trying to organize and the, the state was trying to silence them. So, you know, we're not calling for anybody to be censored. We don't think that anything is to be gained by the government uh, censoring people. And in fact, if we to crack down, it's going to be first on the left. Um, but as far as, you know, the narrative that basically like if you just allow them to speak, everyone will see that their ideas are stupid um, and, you know, we should just ignore them. I mean, they said that with Trump and look what happened. I mean, the, the media, the media is just so fickle and like it, 
most of the journalists I've talked to really are nihilist politically. Like they don't believe in anything. They don't believe the world can change. They have a dim view of that everyday person. They think most people are stupid. I mean, that's why they write such horrible shit that people read is because they think they're dumb. You know, they think average working class people are just fucking dumbasses who will pick up a newspaper and believe whatever or turn on Alex Jones and believe it. You know, they think that most people have no agency over their lives and, and fundamentally cannot change the, the conditions which immiserate them. So it really doesn't matter. But again, like if you look back at Unite the Right in Charlottesville, I mean, they got their answer. You know, the first night um, there was a march that had over 500 neo-Nazis that were there chanting, you know, blood and soil, Jews will not replace us. And there was a small group of people, small group of students, you know, probably like 20 or 30 people that went out and stood around a statue and linked arms. You know, they had, you know, nonviolent, quote unquote, um, and we're just standing there and these people surrounded them and beat the shit out of them. You know, gave one person a concussion. They poured tiki torch lighter fluid over somebody in a wheelchair. You know, there was children as young as 17 that were there. The Dean of students was out there. I mean, those people that night got their answer. You know, they went looking for a group of people that they could attack, that they could get away with and make them feel strong. And that's exactly what they did. They had no consideration if no one was, was there to see them. You know, this was about them wanting to do something. And I think that's what you need to keep in mind. I mean, the, the writers of fascism has always said, like, if fascism is anything, it's projective force, you know, against a perceived enemy. And like, I mean, they don't give a fuck if, uh, if the media isn't there to cover them, they have their own fucking media. Like, you know, they have their own way of telling their own narrative. Um, and they're going to continue to, you know, pick as they say, soft targets and go after them. I mean, what on the lead up to unite the right, is um, neo-Nazi groups growing in like Florida or in Southern California going to like social justice groups that were doing like white supremacy trains and disrupting those events. And of course, the media is nowhere to be found when these things happen. You know, if a, you know, a group of Nazis going to an event with a bunch of liberals who have never been in a fight, you know, have no idea how to defend themselves, don't know what to do. All of a sudden there's these scary Nazi guys in their event. Um, you know, the media's not there to be like, hey, you know, something's going the on. The entire, like, on-the-ground situation of these, like, you know, anything that escalates to a street fight or a aggressive protest is so flying in the face of classic liberal discourse that I also think, like, a lot of these uh, media-class doofus people just, like, literally cannot process the idea of it. Like the the rally of Nazis, you can file that somewhere in your head as a wild protest. But the people showing up countering the protest is like, you didn't get a permit for this. I don't know what you're doing here. Right. Yeah, liberals love politeness, especially politeness from other liberals. Well, one of the most obnoxious like uh, talking points I hear from like centrist journalists, some of these people who are in journalism that I know are old friends of mine. It will tell me things like, well, I'm a realist. And they're, some of them are the most obscenely out-of-touch people right. ever. Like, uh, That's I mean, a go-to out-of-touch person. Yeah, I'm a real. <laughs> it's just it's a way it's like, I believe in yeah. nothing. Uh, it's like a friend of mine, and I got in a huge argument a couple months ago about single-payer. She has been reporting on health care for years. And I'm like, no, this is a popular policy. And she's like, well, I'm a realist, and we live in a capitalist society, and this wouldn't be popular. And here we are. I'm a realist. I've been only listening to think tanks for the last six years, yeah, exactly. and they don't seem to think it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, then you also throw into the, 
the mix of the fact that like you know NASA is saying the same thing the Unabomber said 20 years ago that industrial civilization is going to crash and kill us all. So it's like, so what do you do with that? Like, there are sections of the elites that are saying, like, look, this whole thing is going to go up in smoke. I mean, look at what the CIA says about, like, the growth of, you know, the ungovernability of cities and that, you know, there needs to be more oppression, more surveillance. I mean, you know, this is what the established power structure is saying, that things are going to get worse and that the only way to, you know, manage it is with, you know, more oppression, more prisons, more police. Um, And I think that most people in the center just, they're not aware of that. They're still like, either they're nihilist and they just think that like it doesn't fucking matter uh, or they're just like hopeless, you know, sort of idealist for some like liberal idea that like no longer actually exists and no one really believes in except themselves. Right. And they love, and they love the polls. I would love to see them do a poll of like neo-Nazis on how many of them actually want free speech for people who are not neo-Nazis. But um, you, you mentioned Milo earlier who, um, I think a lot of people would not consider a neo-Nazi. He's uh, kind of a self-aggrandizing person. Um, and a lot of people would say, like, why pay attention to him? Why organize against uh, his public uh, speeches or whatever? Um, but why is that an important um, ground for, for confrontation in this sort of the alt-light, the Milo faction of this, this movement? The bad boys, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that things have actually have changed in that, um, you know, first off, like, yes, I mean, Milo is not a neo-Nazi. He's not a white nationalist. He is, um, you know, as some people would classify him kind of like a, a weird, you know, actually probably a neoconservative. But yes, kind of exists in this weird kind of like alt-like realm where it's like we're too scared to be you know, white nationalists, but we're kind of going to ride the wave of, you know, the, the peppy the peppy mean frog, mean frog fucks, if I can get that out. Um, but I think that really what's interesting about the alt light is that their bubble really has kind of burst because they're in this weird position now where, um, because of after unite the right, they can't really associate with the alt right itself. So they've kind of like put up those walls. And like, if you look at like Jack post of boomer, those people, like they've really tried to distance themselves as much as they can from the Richard Spencer's of the world. But at the same time, um, they're not in a position like Trump is no longer running. Like they have no expansive audience to talk to. Like they're, you know, they, it's, it's almost like the housing market bubble bursting or something like that. Like their clock is really ticking and they're more and more like locked into a sort of echo chamber where they're just talking amongst each other. And that's why you continuously see a lot of these people within the alt light. Like all they're doing is really like sharing like conspiracy theories uh, about whatever, or especially more and more about Antifa. So like pushing or the left in general, black lives matter. Um, you know, maybe next week it'll be DSA or something, but you know, just reaching out to like more frog people. And if they're having a really good day, they convince, can convince someone else who runs a web comic, uh, that (laughs) yeah, like the daily caller will, you know, pick it up somehow. I mean, there is like an ecosystem to this, but I mean, like a good example is um, when Ben Shapiro talked um, in Berkeley, like maybe two weeks ago. It's funny because we had journalists like writing us emails being like, how come nothing happened? And by that, they meant like a riot. And it was funny because it's like there was a thousand people on the streets protesting in front of the building. And also students uh, had a sit sit in at one of the buildings and occupied it for a series of hours. So it's like actually a lot of fucking shit happened. You just weren't paying attention and you weren't there. And it doesn't get media coverage, um, which is the baseball. No, of course, because infuriating. 
Because they already know what they want to write. See, what that's what's so funny about these people that are, they're like, I'm a, I'm a left journalist or I'm a liberal journalist. It's like, oh, you know, they already have in their head, you know, their own narrative. And they're just looking for a few quotes to fit into that. But the point I was trying to make is that, so, you know, this happened and Ben Shapiro spoke and, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, Proud Boy showed up, Bass Stick Man, you know, some of these like uh, Laura Southern was there, these kind of like alt-light you know, I'm too I'm too afraid to call myself a white nationalist, but I'm really doing the same thing type people. Um, they all showed up because I guess apparently Ben Shapiro is like the only thing, only thing they can they can do with their evening. But um, you know after after everybody went home, there was a there was some video that came out of of some woman at a bar or just on the street that unfortunately fell down. This was not related to the protest, but she fell down and she was injured and she went to the hospital. And uh, Kyle Chapman, aka Bass Stickman. Uh, started this uh, conspiracy theory that Antifa had stabbed her in the neck <laughs> and she had fallen over. And this was then picked up by Milo and then it was promoted through, through his social media. And then I think it even like went out into maybe even some like quote unquote mainstream channels. But um, I mean, it, the kind of story only a man who's great with <laughs> sticks could conjure up. Yeah. But, but what's great about this shit is that it's like, the only thing they can do is lie to their base. And if you look at what happened uh, with free speech week, it was the exact same thing. I mean, I, I unfortunately I have to give it up to the person uh, Lucian at the gateway pundit for actually reporting on it, but doing a series of uh, periscopes in which, you know, he came out and said like, look, like Milo is lying to all of you. Like he already knows that this thing is canceled. I've seen the emails. And in fact, a series of emails came out between Lucian and, and the person at UC Berkeley where he's saying like, look, like they know that this thing is canceled. They're just stringing you along. It ended up costing the university $800,000 in a period. And they're talking about laying people off. Somebody wrote that like, you know, Milo spoke for 15 minutes and that's like 53 or $43,000 a minute. It's just insane. You know, fuck, that's such a good gig. <laughs> it, well, it's not like he got any of that money. It's just money that the university spent on security. But again, like no one was, was trying to stop, um, you know, Milo from coming to the campus, it's an open fucking campus. If you want to come there and talk, you can. What the police did is they set up a perimeter around him and they basically did paid security for him. He had no permit. You know, he had no, like, you know, he had not entered into any contract with the university. They just did that. Not because they care about Milo or they care about free speech, but again, you know, the, the right is trying to take this narrative that like, you know, the left or, you know, the, the liberal globalists at the university are trying to like silence dissent. You know, it's, just, it's fucking ridiculous. I mean, Milo was allowed to speak on the campus because he's backed by billionaires. He has massive amounts of money. But again, to come back to my point, I mean, they had to lie to their base to get them to even come out there, which, which to me is, is, is fantastic. They think that they're trolling the left. It's like they trolled their own base. They got people to drive from other states it's fucking ridiculous. And like these people are pissed. Sometimes the best way to own libs is uh, just to trick your friends into spending money. <laughs> I, I'm curious about, uh, you know, a lot of people since Trump got elected said these people have been emboldened and galvanized, which obviously is true. But I'm curious about what the landscape would have looked like if Trump had lost. Because it's like there's this um, misconception that this all started with or like this is all started with trump and caused by trump when really he's just been a great unifier you know i was in minneapolis uh for some black lives matters protests and there were people who were attacked by white supremacists that was in 2015 yeah uh i think one person was killed uh so i'm thinking like would 
a Trump loss had just caused more resentment and more just like individual violence because now they have infrastructure they can rely on to oppress you know the people they hate. Yeah, I mean they had infrastructure before, but it's definitely. Um, I mean, what Trump did is he he created you know a false point of unity for a variety of the of the far right groups, and like in the the free speech rallies that we saw um, leading up to Charlottesville, which kind of like set the stage for Charlottesville unite the right and what the, what it was modeled after like in Berkeley which were really a broad coalition of you know deplorable Trump supporters uh, you know neo-nazi alt-right types uh, alt-light people and also like militia people which was a huge component because with them cam- comes guns and security and also links to law enforcement because a lot of people in the oath keepers and three percenters are former military and law enforcement so they can call up their buddies you know in the local PD and say like you know we're you know we're gonna have a march um but, you know, Trump created like that false sense of unity. But really, again, you know, United Right killed that because nobody wants to be associated with the alt right now. But um, it was funny because when Trump won, there were some people that went on to organize Unite the Right that said, like, you know, <laughs> it would have been better if Hillary would have won because we could have like kept that unifying factor with the with the entire right wing because we would have been united around a hatred of Hillary. And I think a lot of them knew that very quickly Trump was going to. Uh, be a cuck or whatever, you know, mm. like just start to, you know, be a politician that he is, you know, start to not live up to different campaign promises, not build the wall. I mean, I think, you know, the funny thing is, is um, if you look at bands, you know, economic nationalism, calling globalization, you know, an economic hate crime. I mean, what have they done for any working class people? They haven't brought jobs back. You know, they've given the CEOs and the billionaires uh, more money, more cuts on regulations. They've rolled back any sort of uh, uh, regulation on the banking industry. I mean, they're no friend to working people. I mean, they want a different version of neoliberalism. That's what they want. Um, this is a surprise to me, and I am upset. <laughs> but I mean, like, to get back to your question, like, what would have been different? I don't know. And I think that, like, history is kind of quickening, and, like, we're seeing all these different factors emerge, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, refugees being created by war or everything that climate change is, is bringing about. So it may be that it would have been different if Hillary would have won, but we still would have been seeing basically the same thing play out. I don't know. I mean, uh, one thing is for sure that the, um, you know, the kind of the false unity that a lot of these far right groups had, you know, is, is pretty over and they're all kind of going to go back to their camps and uh, kind of do whatever they think needs to be done. Um, but I think that we're going to see less and less kind of like broad coalition-y type far-right activity. And we're going to start seeing a lot more um, neo-Nazi groups really trying to come out on their own because they're not going away. I mean, just uh, this past weekend at the Houston Anarchist Book Fair, 30 people with the with the group um, Vanguard America, which is what um, James Alex Fields was a part of that ended up killing Heather Heyer in Charlottesville, they, you know, they came out to the building, tried to get in the door, people locked the door and they kind of like walked around the building and then they left after about 15 minutes. But I mean, you know, they're not going to stop, you know, they're already Richard Spencer is planning to come to the university of Florida and other Nazi groups are coming out to support him. They have, they've called a rally in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. I mean, they've, they've got stuff planned. I mean, they're not going away. Um, but also like, you know, I just want to impart on people listening. Like we've really got to 
you know, do our own shit too. Like we have to come out, we have to shut these people down. We've got to confront them. I think that like the period in which, you know, the, the Milo's of the world have kind of like helped normalize the alt-right. I think that's pretty much over. Like those people are just kind of like sad, uh, failing social media stars. Like they've kind of lost a lot of their threat because I mean, you know, they've, they've elected their, their billionaire, their billionaires in office, you know, they, they don't really have anything to rail against. Um, they're just going to be continue to be, you know, sad, social media, you know, hacks, but I mean the, the real threats, you know, the actual fascist groups are still going to be there. Uh, and we need to continue to push against them, but we've really got to really get out on the streets and, and put our own politics into motion because if we don't actually have an alternative, you know, the far right is only going to be able to step into that vacuum and grow from it. And they seem well, like they're ahead too. Yeah. It, it really does feel like they're on offense a lot of the time. And one of the fronts um, that they've been pretty successful at is online and, and stopping attempts to expose them. Um, it's, it's going down as I think a pretty good example. Uh, you guys had a Patreon page uh, up until July that was, was shut down. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Yeah. I mean, some of the people that we were talking about, like, uh, Kyle Chapman and then allright.com started games to, uh, shut down our Patreon account. And actually, uh, at least one person from Patreon stood up for us and said, um, you know, we're not going to kick them off. We think that in the age of Trump, it's actually very important that sites like IGD exist. Um, what happened is, is that they kicked off Lauren Southern, who was involved in uh, a project, which was a big boat that went into the Mediterranean, and tried to stop refugees from coming into mainland Europe. And this was a, a project by a neo-Nazi group called uh, Generation Identity, which is a, what a lot of the alt-right groups are kind of based on. In a the lot of them are States. great band names. <laughs> yeah. So people were saying like, hey, like you've got this group of people that are actively trying to stop refugees um, from coming into this country that are in the middle of the ocean. They also got in trouble, too, like they had forged documents and they actually had people on their their boat. They were some of them were uh, arrested for human trafficking and stuff like that. So they ran into a whole variety of problems. But Lauren Southern was kicked off of Patreon and that kind of very hurt their project. And then a lot of people within the alt-right started to say, like, well, if you're going to kick off Lauren Southern, like, how dare you allow this anarchist website to be kicked off? And the the list of articles that they had for, like, violating their terms of service actually came directly from, you know, neo-Nazi boards that had compiled different lists of things. And ultimately, what Patreon said that we did wrong was that we republished in a communique that was posted on another website that was from people that said they poured concrete over train tracks, um, which caused a signal to be sent to the train to make it stop. That was carrying fracking equipment. And they said a true tragedy <laughs> in America. Right. right. I'm sure the, the exact same people are very upset that, that fracking, you know, trains, you know, explode all the time. But, um, so they tried to say that we were disseminating on purpose information about how to like derail trains and like kill people, which was obviously not true. It was, you know, it was, we were, reposting something that was obviously news, you know, whether it was illegal or controversial is besides the point. Um, and it was not done, you know, in a way to like, be like, Hey, you should do this. Um, the other thing was that there was a repost from another website of somebody that was involved in like low level, uh, GOP activity and also was a neo-Nazi. And there was a 
picture of a flyer, which included, I think, their email or something like that. And they said that we were involved in malicious doxing of this person, which is just, you know, utter bullshit. But um, this is like a public official. So this is like the contact information for a reposting public. it from like a local website. Uh, there's nothing on there that said like, you know, call yeah. this person or harass them or kill their kids or something like that. It just said like, here's the information, you know. You could only get that information either on it's going down or the phone book. You know, like on late Friday, we got an email from Patreon that basically said we're out. And then like right when the email hit, Jack Conti, and if you haven't seen him, he's like a total douchebag hipster guy, um, you know, <laughs> you know, put out a video. He did this whole thing. He's like, you know, a lot of people were saying like, we're just going to kick off IGD because of, uh, you know, to capitulate to the alt-right. And he's like, that's not true. But that was true. I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, Twitter uh, feels the same way because if you look at how much of the, how much of the Twitter sphere, the alt-right controls, I mean, they're definitely not going to try to fuck with that because that's, you know, there's money there. So a lot like pressuring a local politician, you can bully a tech bro to do what you want. <laughs> If you post right, especially yeah. when you're as lame as this Conte guy. Like I was, I was, I was doing some reading on him. Uh, there was a New Yorker piece on him uh, that came out, I think, last month. Uh, so uh, Conte is not an alt right activist. He's a bald, bearded musician from San Francisco, uh, and a few years ago, he was trying to make a living on YouTube. His music videos, funk covers of pop songs homemade robots playing percussion pads often went viral great guy <laughs> yeah yeah and then they go on to get a comment from him. he's like my fans loved it it got more than a million views and i made 150 bucks from it i realize <laughs> i know right Not i realize clearly there is a problem with how stuff on the internet what we call content gets monetized and then uh i was looking at his Did twitter he, is his name just short for content did he like his <laughs> name that content. I was looking at his Twitter, and he just he follows a lot of like douchey tech CEOs. But there's this one tweet uh, retweeted during the Equifax uh, leak, mm-hmm. and it's from some guy with the Twitter handle Leadership Freak. And it just says, <laughs> just says, apologize with humility and press forward with confidence. We're like, this guy thinks he's like some you know visionary innovator for Silicon Valley. When it's like, right. No, you're just like. A regular, you know, douchebag CEO who gets a boner for words like synergy and leadership, like yeah. all the other ones. And I yeah. love in the, in the video he did after, like, after he took both of these things off, he was like, this is not a false equivalency. We are not making a false equivalency <laughs> between the alt-right and IGD. But then in the same video, he spends, like, half of it. No, like three-fourths of it talking about why he took off Lauren Southern and all these awful people. And then he's, like, two sentences about it's going down. It's like, well, they doxed. And it's like, well, on many sides, bro. Yeah. If yeah. you still think that uh, I'm making a false equivalency, I'd like you to watch this homemade video of robots explaining <laughs> why it was fine. <laughs> but I mean, you know, and again, like I said this before the recording, I mean, you know, I don't think we should be surprised about this. I mean, a big, a big company, you know, did something against a social movement. Like, you know, it's not surprising. Um, and, and we're fine. We're doing good. I mean, you know, we survived it. We're, we're still growing. Like they haven't affected what we're doing. In fact, you're not going down. No, I think it's funny because, um, I mean, every time the alt-right tries to launch campaigns, they just, it ends up backfiring. It gives us more credibility, just like Fox news. I mean, Fox news has attacked us several times. I mean, all it does is, you know, give us more of a platform and more people are paying attention to us. So how can people support you now? Um, uh, go to our website. Uh, it's going down slash shop and you can, 
donate through there and become a, a recurring sustainer or buy a t-shirt and stickers. And there's also, um, we have kind of like a web store in there. So different groups sell different things, but, uh, check that out. That's a great way to support us. I also have a newsletter, um, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. You can sign up there to get regular updates. It is anarchist tradition to have sick t-shirts. <laughs> okay. So it's going down dot org. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. get it. Check it out. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, this was amazing, and people need to support left-wing media uh, like you guys. Hey, everybody. It's Alex again. Hope you liked the interview. Uh, it was great having it going down on. We actually recorded a good 30 to 35 more minutes on football drama and... Puerto Rico being destroyed by a hurricane. The peanut butter and chocolate of weekly news topics. But uh, unfortunately, we recorded it through the laptop speakers again. So it sounds like robots who hate you. Uh, So we decided to skip that. I just wanted to say, if you like the show, be sure to smash that subscribe button. And if you live in Brooklyn, please come to our live stand-up show, Paid Protest. Tomorrow, Friday, September 29th at 7 p.m. at Star Bar. The lineup's goddamn amazing. We got Aparnan and Sherla, and uh, we're fundraising for the DSA again. So, yeah, um, we're also heroes. Heroes don't always wear capes. Sometimes they are bad at producing a podcast. So... Uh, I'll see you there, my sweet babies. Thanks for listening. Bye.